Are you a software professional looking to make a lasting impact on people and the planet? At General Motors, our vision is a world with zero crashes, zero emissions, and zero congestion. And we need innovative people like you to join us on this journey and challenge the limits of what is possible. From autonomous cars to software-defined vehicles, you'll translate breakthrough technologies like AI into experiences that people love, all while pushing the world forward toward an all-electric future. See how you can shape the future of mobility at careers.gm.com. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. It's Monday, July 9th, 2018, and you're listening to Inquiring Minds. I'm Indre Viscontis. And I'm Kishore Hari. Each week, we bring you a new in-depth exploration of the space where science, politics, and society collide. We endeavor to find out what's true, what's left to discover, and why it all matters. You can find us online at inquiring.show, on Twitter at inquiringshow, and on Facebook. And you can also get an ad-free version of the show by supporting us at patreon.com slash inquiringminds. And you can subscribe to the show on iTunes or any other podcasting app. Tesla is a name we see everywhere these days. Cars, companies, heck, I even know of three pets that have that name these days. Nikola Tesla has become a darling of Silicon Valley, uh, where his spirit of invention is celebrated daily. That resurgence is largely due to all of his contributions. So there's alternating current for sure, uh, but he also had contributions to radio, radar, x-rays, wireless technology, which I found crazy, even robotics. And yes, the webcomic The Oatmeal had a huge hand in the popularization with that fateful webcomic and fundraising campaign for the Tesla Museum. But Tesla the man died penniless and was quickly erased as one of the smartest and most famous people of his time. And while we focus on the inventions, we often don't talk about Tesla the man. Have you noticed this strange resurgence over the past 10 years? Because Tesla is not a name we heard much about before, let's say, like 2000. Yeah, no, it, it seems like, yeah, I mean, I I don't know if this is something that we can blame Elon Musk for, or <laughs> for like, it's like name recognition all of a sudden. Um, but certainly, yes, he's he seems to have, have grown in our, you know, kind of in fame and in, in the history of science in the last decade, more so than he did in the previous five decades. And you can imagine an inventor that that is that prolific is probably a strange dude. And guess what? Nikola Tesla lives up to every bit of that. And that's why this week we have on Richard Munson. He's the author of several books. He currently directs the Environmental Defense Fund's clean energy efforts in the Midwest. But his newest book is Tesla, Inventor of the Modern, which chronicles his life from growing up in Serbia to his time in the U.S. Wasn't there a recent movie out about Tesla? Uh, sure. There's been multiple movies about Tesla, but my favorite is The Prestige. Yes. Is that with Benedict Cumberbatch? No, that one, this one has Wolverine and uh, uh, and Batman in it. Oh, <laughs> OK. Um, well, yes, I, I feel like if someone hasn't cast Benedict Cumberbatch as Tesla, they should, because mm-hmm. to me, he would be like the perfect, you know, weird dude. Well, thanks for joining us on Indre and Kishore <laughs> Try to Remember Movies. So with that, let's take a short break and we'll be back with my interview with Richard Munson. 
This episode was brought to you by Memory Bank. Would you consider yourself financially minded and someone who knows how to maximize savings? I thought I was until I realized I could be making a lot more than what I do now with my current checking account. Memory Bank's Earn More Checking pays 1.6% annual percentage yield. That's 30 times the national average on interest. Plus, they don't have any confusing monthly requirements to get the rate. Your deposits will start growing from dollar one. Their online account opening process only takes a few minutes, and their online banking platform is easy to use with all the features you expect, such as mobile deposit, bill pay, and external transfer ability. Best of all, since Memory Bank is a national digital arm of a well-established community bank, it was designed to focus on innovation while also giving you a community bank feel. It's the best of both worlds. Visit mymemorybank.com slash minds to start earning 1.6 APY today. 1.6 APY as of July 9th, 2018. $50 minimum opening deposit. Message and data rates may apply. Member FDIC. This episode was brought to you by Looker. Looker helps you take your analytics to the next level. It's the modern analytics platform that brings data-driven decision-making to every level of business. From innovative startups to enterprise-grade businesses, thousands of companies are using Looker in every department to access, analyze, and act on their data. Looker gives you the right tools for the job. Their modern best-of-breed data workflows free up time for higher-value work and has solutions for every department from customer support and marketing to product and data science. Looker is built with your security in mind and ensures that your data is safe, secure, and in control. Companies like Deliveroo, Trivago, TransferWise, Yahoo, and more rely on Looker for their business intelligent needs. Get more from your data with greater efficiency by using Looker. Head to looker.com today to learn more and request a demo. That's looker.com to get started today. Looker, secure, shareable, powerful. Richard Munson, welcome to Inquiring Minds. Thanks for having me. Tesla is a name that is part of popular culture once again, but it wasn't always that way. Nikola Tesla's undergone some sort of renaissance, it was, with so many people heralding all of the discoveries after being in obscurity for so long. But there were all the inventions that Tesla is responsible for, and then there is Tesla the man. Can you talk to us about how Nikola Tesla where he grew up, and, and how he ended up coming to this country. Well, he was actually born a Serb in Croatia. He lived in an isolated village. His father was an Orthodox priest, and he had his first job as installing Edison electric or telephone systems, actually in uh, Budapest and Paris. And largely because he was so bright, the European supervisors um, sent him to New York city to work with the great man himself, Thomas Edison. And so he um, arrived in New York City. And as you probably might guess, the uh, two of them, although uh, they were introduced as both brilliant men to each other, they really just did not hit it off. They had totally different styles. Uh, Thomas Edison was a little bit frumpy and, to be honest, a little bit crass. Um, Nikola Tesla was quite cosmopolitan, spoke about eight languages, and always dressed like he was headed for the opera. That said, they also had totally different um, inventing styles. Uh, Edison was more of a um, let's try things, trial and error approach, whereas uh, Tesla was far more uh, cerebral in his activities. So you're right, at the, as you noted at the beginning, Tesla is receiving a bit of a popular revival. 
Um, my hope in this book was to suggest that he even needs more of one because I think noting the um, the popularity of both Edison and Marconi in this country, and deservedly so, noting the accomplishments that Tesla provided us, uh, he also deserves uh, far more of a renaissance and more appreciation. So even though Tesla is cosmopolitan and you know well-dressed, well-read, obviously well-spoken with, with being fluent in so many languages, would you have considered him a prodigy even as a young man and child before he he came to this country? Well, he no doubt was bright, but this is one of the odd things about uh, Nikola Tesla's um, upbringing. He had an older brother, about five years older, whose name was Dane, who clearly was Nikola's idol as well as the family favorite, who was considered extraordinary beyond all meanings and would follow his father into the priesthood. Um, Unfortunately, when Dane was 12 years old and Nikola was, I think, about seven, the family's um, white stallion bolted through young Dane to the ground, and he died that night from his injuries. And Nikola, he's you know seven years old. He just witnessed his brother die, and his mother, at midnight, take wakes him up out of bed and come and says, "You have to come into the other room and kiss your brother goodbye." Can you imagine? And he he suggested he Tesla, you know, 55 years later would suggest that this image, you know, continue to haunt him through his days. You would think that the family then having lost their eldest son would turn to Nikola and just, you know, he's our boy and our hope going into the future. But instead, they just continue to idolize the uh, dead son. And Nikola found himself, even though he was making accomplishments and getting great um, marks at school, um, the parents always sort of suggested that Dane would have done better. So Tesla, you know, despite the fact that he you know, was one of our greatest inventors ever, grew up without any self-confidence. What drove him to actually come to America? Was it sort of escaping these family environs or was he driven by something else? Well, I think it was a, a variety of factors. I think there was, you know, something about, um, you know, getting out of Europe. Um, but there also was just the opportunity that America posed. It was the land of promise. And his supervisor also helped this along by writing a letter to Thomas Edison, actually knew him and suggested probably the best letter of recommendation ever written. He said to Thomas Edison, I know of two great men. You are one of them. And the other is this young man, Nikola Tesla. So obviously he gets hired by Edison, does great work for Edison for a while, but they split uh, largely because um, Edison, at least according to Tesla's view of it, had promised a bonus if Tesla was able to increase the efficiency of the Edison generators. So Tesla stayed up late at night. He worked on the weekends. He, uh, you know, after about six months, he had tripled the output of the generators. So he goes to the great man who he still idolized and said, you know, I did this. Where's my, you know, bonus? And in perhaps the, the worst snub that anybody could give to a young immigrant, uh, Thomas Edison turns to him, rejects the bonus and says, you know, when you're a full-fledged American, you will appreciate an American joke. Wow. Obviously, Tesla did not laugh. He picked up his bowler hat and left. Was that slight 
between Edison um, towards Tesla. Is that the origin of of what we now call the current wars, where they really began their intellectual fight uh, over direct current and alternating current? It certainly added to it, but I think there was both a technical as well as a philosophical difference between the two of them. Edison had been invested in uh, direct current, which um, basically its downside is that it can't travel very far. Um, and he, Edison, thought, therefore, philosophically, that uh, electricity would remain you know, a luxury item. It would be available for only the rich people who could install, say, a small generator in their basement, the J.P. Morgans of the world. Tesla had an alternate vision, both of the technology. He preferred alternating current, which could be what's called stepped up and therefore sent over longer distances. And But a philosophical difference as well in that electricity should be something that was available to everyone. So this war of the currents that you refer to was a struggle between the status quo, in this case, it was Thomas Edison and his backers, including J.P. Morgan, uh, that were invested in direct current, and Nikola Tesla, who then also got a backer with George Westinghouse um, and their uh, efforts. It became gruesome in the sense that Thomas Edison, trying to prove that alternating current was dangerous, you know, had an associate actually um, bring in... Um, but they began with the dog and they, you know, brought in reporters and other people to watch their demonstration. They put direct current on the dog and the dog didn't really do much of anything. Then they jacked up the, the voltage on, you know, so high voltage alternating current and the dog died, you know, and everybody in the audience is going gross. <laughs> but they did this with a dog, cat, horses. I mean, it was, it became gruesome. Um, but in the end, I mean, Tesla had the better technology, and that was proven in about 1897, I believe, when um, both he and Westinghouse demonstrated that they could uh, transfer the power of Niagara Falls, first 26 miles to Buffalo, but then 400 miles all the way down to New York City, you know, power the subways, you know, make the Great White Way of Broadway white, Um and when you realize that the direct current, which was favored by Thomas Edison, could travel maybe half a mile, the accomplishment of 400 miles was considered, at least by the New York Times, to be the engineering triumph of the 19th century. And they, the New York Times, gave full credit to Tesla for being the one who made that possible. You know, I, I think of modern scientific debate now is, is oftentimes settled through publishing papers and and minor arguments at conferences, this had a really different flavor. And, and I just want to highlight what you so beautifully illustrate in these books, these demonstrations that Edison and Tesla would do were big public spectacles in order to convince the world. Uh, what was it like to go to one of these demonstrations that, that Tesla would do uh, as a way of, of selling alternating current as the way of the future? These were like social events, um, mostly men, um, for reasons this was at the turn of the uh, the 20, beginning of the 20th century. A few women or wives would come along with them, but they were dressed for um, the theater, essentially, um, and they were excited because here was a man who um, had all these new theories and was promising that he would put you know, lots of voltage, you know, through um, his body 
And there was this kind of anticipation. Was he going to blow up? Was, you know, electrical currents going to, you know, fly from his fingertips? What, you know, what the heck was going to happen? And, you know, Tesla, although he was happiest when he was alone in his laboratory, could become a showman. So he was out there. He had um, was demonstrating or talking about, um, you know, how great alternate alternate energy is and, you know, would have, you know, send it through his body and his little fingertips, their blue little spikes that would come out from underneath it. But then he, you know, in between these two electrified um, plates, he would walk around with these bulbs or these, you know, sabers uh, that would suddenly glow. And they were not attached to wires. And everybody was just like, this is pretty amazing. So it was a show. One of, one of his other great um, demonstrations was um, when he had actually done the Niagara Project um, and had this great accomplishment. To be honest, he was kind of bored with electricity. He wanted to do something else. He wanted to create robotics. So he um, decided he'd have this demonstration in Madison Square Garden where he would build an indoor pond and place a little model boat about four feet long, three feet high, that was remote controlled and battery powered. And he, with controls on the side, would send it messages. And so it would, you know, go backwards and forwards. It would go around the pool. Um, you know, it would sort of dance like a water bug, if you will. You know, and the, the crowd was just going nuts. I mean, the next day there were, uh, in the newspaper, there were commentaries that it was powered by mystic spirits. Uh, my favorite was one you know, um, young lad suggested that there was a tiny little monkey that must have been inside um, <laughs> the model boat, you know, having it go around. But then Tesla, to top it off, here he's got everybody totally mesmerized that he's maneuvering this, you know, model boat with, with no, you know, apparently no controls. And then he turns to the crowd and he says, who wants to ask the boat a question? silence in the room. I mean, who's going to ask the boat a question for heaven's sakes? <laughs> and, you know, of course, some math nerd in the back pipes up and says, all right, what's the cube root of 64? And then Tesla, quite nonchalantly, you know, puts his hand underneath the table where he's got the controls and causes the boat's lights to flash four times. The crowd went nuts, went absolutely nuts. <laughs> and he, of course, Tesla is thinking, um, that he's got something here more important than simply a boat that uh, can be maneuvered around. And it's also something more important. This is the time of the Spanish-American War as far as a boat that could perhaps you know, be a submarine and deliver bombs and blow up you know, Spanish ships. What he saw was the first machine that um, was endowed with um, human intelligence. And this was a um, the new world of robots who that would um, reduce drudgery um, for us all going forward, be able to not only respond to commands and do projects, but also think about this is preceding artificial intelligence about 100 years ago uh, and suggesting that these robots could decide what they ought and what they ought not to do. Wow. Th there's so much to unpack from that story, but I love how. He headlined Madison Square Garden for anyone, even back then, that would have been a moment of your lifetime. Uh, so the, it's amazing to hear these stories. I I have to ask, like, this seems like he became a celebrity, you know, with Westinghouse's help, as you alluded to before. It seemed like the, these moments is when Tesla became part of our sort of cultural parlance. He's headline in the New York Times. People are talking about 
all these demonstrations. Does that turn into financial success for him too? And, and what does he do with all of that? He was at the top of his game, yes. Um, when he sold his uh, patents for an electric motor uh, to George Westinghouse, he was living pretty high on the hog. He got a nice you know, apartment in um, the Waldorf Astoria. Uh, he was eating his filet dinners at Delmonico's. Uh, he was befriending, you know, John Muir and, and Mark Twain. In fact, those two were buddies. That's a whole other story. But it all sort of came um, to a point where it um, disappeared, in part simply because of his idealism and his lack. He was a great inventor, but he was a horrible businessman and a horrible negotiator. So after Niagara Falls, George Westinghouse was a little bit strapped for cash. They had spent a lot of money to demonstrate this project. And also the economy was turning a little bit bad. And so J.P. Morgan and other New York bankers thought this was a great opportunity to sort of take away George Westinghouse's company. So Westinghouse needed to figure out some way to reduce his expenses. And one of the largest ones was his royalty that he was paying to Nikola Tesla for these um, motors that he would um, produce. So he goes to Tesla, at least this is how Tesla tells it, and says, I'm in trouble. Um, you know, can you help me? And Tesla, idealist that he is, you know, turns to Westinghouse and said, you have been my friend all this time, and you are the one who is going to bring my invention that's going to improve the world. You're going to make it into fruition. And so allow me to tear up this contract. Oh, he no. With probably hundreds of millions of dollars would have flowed from that. He had everything in his favor. He had the patents. He had the contract. And from idealism and you know um, friendship, he tore it up and, and basically sacrificed that money and um, – you know, for the rest of his life. And at the end, he actually, you know, was declared bankruptcy and, and died almost penniless. That's obviously how he, his name sort of became erased from electricity. He made these um, bad business decisions, but he was so prolific. I mean, you talked about how Marconi at the at the beginning was credited with radio, but Tesla had a hand in that and radar and robotics, as you talked about, x-rays. How did he become a footnote to all of these stories that he had a hand in the technology developing? I think it's a bit of a puzzle, to be quite honest with you, um, which is one of the reasons that sparked me to try to um, write a biography about him. In part, it's because he was a little uh, quirky. Um, not only was he this bad negotiator that gave up an opportunity to have you know successful business, but I mean, he had some you know quirks. I mean, he you know, hated jewelry on women. He would uh, get a fever if he saw a peach. He would have to count his steps so that they were divisible by three. Otherwise, he'd have to do the whole thing um, all over again. But I think at the core, the difference is largely that what he gave us were systems that sort of underlie or service the foundation for our economy. And consumers like you and I don't always notice them. So he gave us an electric motor. They obviously run our um, elevators. They run our, our appliances. But we don't really see them. Thomas Edison gave us an incandescent light bulb. We know what that is. He gave us a phonograph. We look at that. So I think that some of it is that just what they provided to the world 
um, were on different levels. And what Tesla provided was more fundamental, more systematic, that people couldn't see and sort of appreciate. And that's my uh, sort of take as to one of the reasons that he um, became less well-known, at least in the United States, in, in the regions where he was born in the Balkan countries, he is considered you know, still an icon, almost you know, a hero. But uh, here in the United States, um, it would be my guess that he was just you know, on a different level of inventing. How did Tesla see all of this, especially later in life? I mean, you paint this picture of his eccentricities really kind of rising throughout his life to the point where he's he's borderline a, a little tough to to be around late in life. But how did he view all of these accomplishments versus how he was penniless at the end? Well, he went through, as you might imagine, you know, um, there were times when he lamented the fact that he did all these great things and other people were getting credit and making money off of his inventions and, you know, kind of drove him crazy. You know, at the same time, he said he lived a great life um, and he continued sort of thinking about new things. Every birthday in his 60s and 70s, uh, he'd have about 40 or 50 reporters. I mean, like the New York Times, the New York Herald, all these big reporters would come by and sit at the feet of the great man and listen to him for like six hours, pontificate. Um, you know, sometimes it was crazy stuff. I mean, he was suggesting that the way to mental health was, you know, to squeeze your toes a hundred times before you went to bed. Okay. Um, but other times he actually was suggesting that he had done the schematics for a death beam that could knock out battleships or airplanes or, you know, whole armies, you know, at the um, end of his life, when he died in about 1943, we were entering World War II, you can imagine that the United States government was not happy about the prospects of possibly having the schematics for a death beam be made available to, you know, other countries. So we went through this elaborate uh, mechanism with the FBI gathered all of his papers, uh, hired an, uh, an MIT professor to come to New York for you know numerous days, uh, while FBI and naval intelligence inspectors you know watched over him, and he actually slapped a top secret um, label on one of Tesla's papers that did describe this death beam because it, it was pretty. Looking back on it, it was quite. You know, similar to what came later during the Reagan administration as far as Star Wars, if you will. Most of the other papers this professor um, suggested were sort of just the ramblings of an older man. Here's, here's one sort of, <laughs> sort of just weird part about life. But the name of the professor from MIT, who was a member of the National Academy of Sciences, had all sorts of awards. He was John Trump. John Trump happens to be the uncle of the 45th president of the United States. How's that for? What a weird um, connection. Uh, isn't that? So Tesla has had a resurgence, as we mentioned off the top. I mean, I I sort of see it as as Tesla represents the, the spirit of invention. Like he was in it for making these things that would revolutionize the world, even if fame didn't always come with that. And even if you weren't always able to see what could be done with those inventions, these were system inventions, as you allude to. Why the resurgence over the last 10 years, though? What about 
Tesla made it now uh, a time for us to rediscover him? Well, I'd go with your point that I think he was um, a curiosity-driven inventor that was motivated by idealism. And I think, you know, you, you hear people like Larry Page, who was the co-founder of Google, and who refers to Nikola Tesla as his hero. And I think there's this sense of idealism um, that technology transcends the marketplace. Uh, invention should be more than just simply tied to profits. So Tesla made this one comment. He says, the desire that guides me in all that I do is the desire to harness the forces of nature to the service of mankind. That sort of love for inventing, that, um, you know, sort of at his core, he just had these inner forces that made sheer creation the most important thing in his life. I think that resonates in accord with other entrepreneurs, be though uh, Larry Page or Elon Musk, who's obviously his car and his company are named after uh, Mr. Tesla. But I think that resonates both with inventors and with the rest of us that, in fact, you know, we look at somebody who just simply wants to create because it's part of their inner core and they want to do it for the betterment of the world. Um, that's somebody we should pay more attention to. There's this wonderful quote towards the end of your book that says, uh, the joy of inventing went beyond the accumulation of profits. And I, I love the idealist in me loves the idea of that and that the spirit of, of Tesla in that way is coming through. But do you think inventors today, the Elon Musk of the world, really are taking that spirit of Tesla to heart? Not totally. I mean, they're still obviously... You know, and Edison, in, in similar fashion, during you know, as a contemporary, um, they invented because, in part, they want to uh, make money, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's how our system works, and it's you know provided um, you know vast uh, accomplishments. I think if um, Tesla was around today, I think he would have two observations about the current state of inventing. One is that um, it pays. Our entire system pays too much attention to the science side of inventing. Um, Tesla would argue that to be a good inventor, you needed to look at nature from a variety of perspectives. You needed to have a love of humanities and a love of science at the same time. And would really, I think he would find the move away from, as many colleges are doing at the moment, from um, uh, you know, humanities majors he would view, I think, as a real um, step in the wrong direction economically because it wouldn't move uh, to coming up with the type of inventing that you wanted. And here's a great example. He invented uh, or envisioned his revolutionary electric motor while he was walking through a Budapest park quoting the long um, poem Faust by Goethe. How much of a mixture of science and humanities is that? The other observation I think I, he would make is that we don't now pay enough attention to the individual inventor. Uh, so much is done now by teams, either at universities or research library or centers or corporate you know, um, research labs. And I, I think he, uh, you know, I was at MIT recently and they were, you know, bragging about how they were, had this one research project. They had 165 different scientists around the world who were working on it. Nothing against teams. They've obviously done amazing things. But I think Tesla would suggest somewhere in our system, we need to reward 
um, the eccentric individual, that person who's willing to look at things in a disruptive new fashion. Um, so uh, I, I think you would find the current system a little bit too uh, focused on math and not enough focused um, on the individual and um, that individual's possible quirks. The legacy of Tesla's inventions will never be in doubt. I mean, he basically has a hand in our daily lives, whether we're turning on the light or, or cooking our meals or, or driving to work. But I'm wondering what you think the legacy of Tesla the man will be, uh, especially after this period of resurgence dies back down to you know some normalcy. What do you think his impact will be long term? Well, the greatest joy to me as a biographer was when I was at the Smithsonian in the archives and they had given me a bunch of materials that were mostly schematics of um, some of his drawings about things. I'm not an engineer, so I have to be honest, part of this was just over my head and I was kind of, I turned to the librarian and said, you got anything else for me? And she's just kind of nonchalantly says, yeah, there's a couple of boxes in the back uh, of letters. And here were hundreds and hundreds of letters between um, Tesla and his friends and his business associates. Suddenly he came alive. And I think um, in addition to being you know, a master inventor, what the letters showed was that he was a human being and a very charming one. He and Mark Twain, I mentioned before, they used to go together uh, to this intellectual salon in the Murray Hill neighborhood of, of New York City. And they chat with other artists or musicians or sculptors. But then afterwards, the two of them would go back to um, Tesla's laboratory. And they were like two guys uh, with their toys. They were shooting lightning across the lab. They were taking x-rays of their hands and their feet. They were dancing around with these bulbs and um you know, laser beams as they, you know, jumped around um, the uh, lab when it was energized. So I think my hope is that um, people begin to better understand, as you noted, um, the fact that his electric motor and long distance electricity transmission and robots and radio and remote control, all of those things do, in fact, underpin our economy. Um, but the person who brought us that was also a human being and a very charming one. I think that image is going to stay with me. The idea of Tesla just shooting lightning bolts at, at Mark Twain for fun uh, on, a <laughs> on a random night. Uh, Richard Munson, thank you so much for joining us on Inquiring Minds. Thank you for having me. Tesla, you know, captures our imagination in part because he fits the profile of the lone inventor, as you guys talked about. And yet there's so much research now uh, about how collaboration and diversity and kind of, you know, the edge effect, right? This idea that where two ecosystems meet is where all the interesting life forms get born and, and, and you know, where that's where the creativity happens. So do you think that a person like Tesla because he was alone, he was just so weird <laughs> that that he sort of created his own edge effect just by being bizarre. I know that's a good question because we crave that story first and foremost. It's not just a, that we tell these tales; it's that we like those tales. Like the, it's almost a hero's journey in some way. Having the lone inventor that's a crazy genius, it fits into that mad scientist kind of trope, and Tesla. Chief among them, given like how he had Faraday cages around, shooting lightning around. 
But I think those stories are detrimental to us because, like you said, research says that collaboration is how most of this uh, stuff gets done, especially in modern contexts now, where so many of the problems that we're dealing with are incredibly complicated. So it takes teams of people, years of work to sort of iterate on them. Uh, and I think dispensing with that story, even though I love the story of Nikola Tesla, is good for us. Now, that being said, do I think you have to be like a crazy weirdo to be a prolific inventor? I don't think so. I think that given what happened in his life, like sort of being shunned by his parents and kind of getting shafted money-wise by Edison and Westinghouse, that you probably don't trust people. You'd probably have trust issues too. And so maybe those quirks emerged as part of that. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, are we entering an era now where the science is becoming so advanced that you just can't make, you know, major contributions by yourself. Instead, what we see is the rise of the entrepreneur, the person who takes the idea and, you know, becomes the face of the company that brings it to the general public. This, I think, is totally on point. And that's why I was so um, excited to hear about the theatrics of Tesla and Edison at that time, because that's what we're seeing with Elon Musk. He's not doing the work. He's not out there like doing research on battery technology. Yeah, what does he do? I don't know, who knows? I think he makes flamethrowers for a living. <laughs> but um, I, his his cult of personality, like the way he captivates people by painting images of the future, even though those images, when you start to break them down, especially when we talk about Mars, people are like, oh, it's way more complicated than that. But there is some aspect of salesmanship and theater here that I think we've underrated that has been taken up by by entrepreneurs these days. And uh, don't get me wrong, I'm not discounting the importance of it. I think the Elon Musk of the world have a lot to offer because in a world that's sort of filled with negativity and pessimism, oftentimes I'm guilty of this. Like that's a person that's selling you an optimistic vision of the future. And while we have to be careful around those, I like that. I like seeing like that we can feeling this sense that we can go to Mars and that celebrating the fact that we're going to send a rocket up every week to the ISS. Those feel like great things. Yeah. And it's also like, the, you know, a glimpse into the life of a billionaire, which, of course, makes us all curious. Oh, I have that glimpse every week at cocktail hour. Right. I feel like <laughs> I feel like I'm just a billionaire right now. <laughs> well, speak for yourself. Uh, this is this is the point where we ask money for from our Patreon supporters. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh Kishore's joking he's not a billionaire um so that's it for another episode i want to thank you for joining us for this installment of inquiring minds and we'd like to thank our supporters on our patreon campaign especially david noel charles blyle clark lindgren michael galgool stefan meyer awald kyle raihala joelle jonathan worsley yushi lin eric clark jordan miller herring chang sean johnson and nick cadillac you can visit our website at inquiring.show and you can support us at patreon.com slash inquiringminds and get an ad-free version of the show. Find us on Twitter at Inquiring Show and Facebook. And you can send us comments, feedback, future guest ideas, or anything else you'd like, like the tip that you think is going to make the next great invention, to contact at inquiring.show. We promise we won't patent it first. Inquiring Minds is produced by Adam Isaac. Our music is provided by award-winning producer Rian Chian. And we're your hosts. I'm Indre Viscontis, and you can find me on Twitter at Indre Vis. And I'm Kishore Hari, future billionaire. At Science Quiche. See you next week. This episode was brought to you by Memory Bank. Did you know that Memory Bank's Earn More checking account pays 
1.6 annual percentage yield. That's 30 times the national average on interest. No confusing monthly requirements. Just take 10 minutes to open an online account and your deposits will start growing from dollar one. It's super easy and offers all the features you would expect, such as mobile deposit, bill pay, external transferability, and so much more. Visit mymemorybank.com slash minds and start earning 1.6 APY today. 1.6 APY as of July 9th, 2018. $50 minimum opening deposit. Message and data rates may apply. Member FDIC. Are you a software professional looking to make a lasting impact on people and the planet? At General Motors, our vision is a world with zero crashes, zero emissions, and zero congestion. And we need innovative people like you to join us on this journey and challenge the limits of what is possible. From autonomous cars to software-defined vehicles, you'll translate breakthrough technologies like AI into experiences that people love, all while pushing the world forward toward an all-electric future. See how you can shape the future of mobility at careers.gm.com.